Today on Blue 58, after the draft comes the rush for undrafted free agents. The Packers grabbed 15 of them. Are any of them any good? We'll try to tackle that question, then try to answer some of your questions about the NFL draft. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. Episode number 301, after I mentioned it in episode 299, I didn't say anything about it being episode 300, when we actually recorded the thing. Yes, we've done 300 episodes now, it's hard to believe. Every time we get to a round number, I think of, uh, we should do something big or noteworthy, and then I don't, partly because... What's the point? Because we're just going to do an episode anyway, and partly because I don't know what to do, so we'll just keep going. And maybe by like episode 500, if we're still going then, who knows, um, we'll figure out something to do. That's another 200 episodes from now. That's a, that's a long, long time. Maybe the new co-host will actually be talking by that point. Um, before we start talking about undrafted free agents, I wanted to take a second to talk about kind of an emerging trend, I think, um, I would like to head off at least as far as it goes with, with this podcast, uh, just reading through YouTube comments, because that is, I think where most of the comments actually come in as far as the podcast goes, get, get some via Twitter, but the, that's, it's an easy place for people to offer quick reaction. Um, and the, reading through those comments the last few days, I'm worried a little bit that people are misunderstanding something that I'm saying about this draft class. I like a lot of the individual players that the Packers got. I, in a vacuum, for example, really like A.J. Dillon. I think he could be a really good player for the Packers. Where that breaks down for me is is I have a problem with him in the second round, given where the Packers were going with the rest of, of their picks and, and how things shaped up as a whole for the Packers in that draft. That said, I don't want it twisted or misinterpreted as, as me not liking these guys or seeing this as as an opportunity, not for listeners of this podcast, because I don't think anybody who's part of our community does this, but just people who in, in general are, are, you know, like tagging these guys on social media, going out of their way to... um. I don't know, make the guys who were drafted feel bad about getting picked in a situation where the fan base didn't want them picked. And that strikes me as a little bit wrong-headed. And I don't want it to feel like I am I'm doing that because that's not my intention at all. Because I think these all guys all deserve to have been drafted in the NFL. Again, maybe not where I would have picked them with the Packers picks, but they're, they all seem like pretty good players. And uh, just because the, the class as a whole doesn't make sense doesn't mean that they can't be good players. And ultimately, if they turn out to be good, it doesn't really matter where they were drafted anyway. So um, just leave the guys out of it, like in terms of criticism of the class. And, and if it seemed like I've been heading down that path, I'm sorry, because that's not how I meant it. Um, I, I like all these guys. And now that they're on the team, I feel like I'm at a point where I've, I've given my takes about them as, you know, as, as part of the process Let's move forward and talk about the team that we've got. Um, having said that, and then having said some more things about that, we are going to answer some final questions about the draft towards the tail end of this podcast, including quite a few about Jordan Love. That's just the nature of how this thing goes. But we'll get to a point where we stop talking about the draft and just kind of go forward with the team that we've got. 
again, ultimately, it's it's not these guys' fault that they were put into these situations, and that's something I, I feel like a lot of people who have supported Aaron Rodgers all the way through 2005 to present said about him too. Like, look, it wasn't his fault that he got picked to be the successor to Brett Favre. And if that's what ends up happening with Jordan Love, if the Packers are thinking of him as the successor to Rodgers, also not his fault. However that happens to turn out. If he turns out to be a bum, that, sure, okay, he could have played better, but it wasn't his fault that he got put into the situation. The Packers did that to him. So, if anything, maybe give him a little bit more grace in that respect. Just wanted to get that off my chest. Um, I think the vast, vast majority of people are are kind of on, on the same page with that. Undrafted free agents. I struggle with what to do with the, with the undrafted free agent reaction type stuff. Because, as we know, the Packers, perhaps more than, than most teams, historically have been pretty open to adding undrafted free agents to their final roster, or at least giving uh, undrafted free agents, not a fair shake, but an opportunity to show what they can do, not putting them, not necessarily giving their draft picks like a scholarship for their first year, just because we got all these um, undrafted free agent guys coming in as camp bodies. Yeah, that's that's all they're ever going to be. Some guys are that. Um, your fourth quarterbacks on the depth chart usually don't have a super realistic path towards the 53-man roster, but there are a couple guys every year who end up sticking around. And you never know who that could be. So I kind of want to balance that a little bit. We'll do quick takes on whether or not we think these guys are any good. um, And then kind of just have a little fun with it too. Who do these guys remind us of? All right? Like what's what's the kind of gut level reaction um, that you hear this name, see the, the physical profile, whatever. What does that make you think of? What does that make me think of? I guess since I'm the one talking to the microphone. So... If that sounds good to you, that's what we will do on this episode. And if it doesn't sound good to you, um, let me know in the comments and we'll try to, to do a more in-depth reaction on guys that you really would like to hear more about. For right now, there's just a lot of volume here because we got 15 guys plus 9 draft picks. That works out to be quite a few new bodies to do in-depth research on. And some of these guys are playing at real small schools in the middle of nowhere, um, including some that don't actually sound real. We'll talk about that here in a second. All right. Um, I should also point out that I'm using a lot of the data in this analysis from an article from my colleague Tex Western at acmepackingcompany.com. I will link to that article in the show notes. You can read up on some of these guys. Uh, To your heart's content, figure out which one is going to be the next sleeper roster candidate. Is that a caveat for you? I hope so. Let's get started. Undrafted free agent number one, Tipa Galliai. Is that how you pronounce his name? I'm not sure. I'm not going to bother looking it up because there are a lot of these guys and we'll figure out how to say his name soon enough if he's actually any good and or if we actually have any team activities in Green Bay. Mr. Galliai and Ed from Utah State, teammate of Jordan Love, 6'4", like that size or height, 235 pounds, a little bit light for an edge rusher. Is he a Kyler Fackrell type? Who knows? A little bit smallish for an edge rusher, so is he good? Hard to say, but you like some of uh, some of his measurables there. What he reminds me of is a like a fringe Star Wars character. There's one of these guys la- every year. Last year it was KB on Ento. They sound like a filler character that's like in the in the Star Wars visual encyclopedia. Um, and they'll like give you a breakdown of some small piece of equipment that turns out to be important in the overall plot for some 
kind of contrived reason. And maybe that's Mr. Galliai. That's the role he will play on the Packers this year. Moving right along, Stanford Samuels, perhaps the jewel of the Packers' undrafted free agent class. Six-foot cornerback, 187 pounds out of Florida State. Is he any good? Seems like he's pretty good. He ran really bad at the Combine, 4.65 in the 40, but he played really well at Florida State. Some scouts had him as high as the third or fourth round. Just on a talent perspective, it seems like he could be pretty good. What does he remind me of? A combination of a pretty good corner and a pretty bad corner. Remember Asante Samuel? You remember Stanford route? Figure out which one was the good one and who was the bad one and uh, jam them together. That is Stanford Samuels. Back on the offensive side of the ball, Daryl Stewart, Darrell Stewart out of Michigan State, six foot two, two hundred and twelve pound wide receiver. Pretty productive at Michigan State. Is he any good? He was good enough to be probably the best wide receiver on a pretty okay team in the Big Ten. So if you think Big Ten football is really the bee's knees, maybe that means a lot to you. Maybe he's a pretty good player as a result there. If you just think he's Another body in a league that doesn't produce a ton of explosive offenses, at least not ones that regularly run with like the SEC, well, maybe that that knocks him down a peg or two. At any case, he's the only receiver the Packers added this weekend. What's he remind me of? A NASCAR driver. I can picture a NASCAR driver named Daryl Stewart. Seems like he'd be driving a car with like number 53 on it or something. Sponsored by Tide. You remember um, Mitch Hedberg? This is completely off topic. But he every time I, I think about Tide, he talks about NASCAR drivers and, and what it'd be like to um, to ride along with a NASCAR driver. Hey, you mind if I turn on the radio? Mind if I stick my feet out the window? Hey, man, you really like Tide. Anyway, that joke will mean something like five people. Patrick Taylor, a running back out of Memphis. This, to me was the undrafted free agent that jumped off the list because he's a guy we talked about in our pre-draft preview uh, podcasts about uh, running backs who may be a fit with the Packers. He was a fit uh, primarily because of how well he moved his mass. He's a big running back. Six foot one, 217 pounds, ran a four five seven forty 40-yard dash, which doesn't sound that great, but at 217 pounds, that puts him in pretty pretty decent company. The rest of his testing numbers were just like okay to to pretty good. So overall, not like an explosive athlete, but not a bad one either. I think he's probably pretty good. He scored a touchdown every 13 carries as a senior. That's that's pretty unusual production, even in like a part-time role. Um, and, and you like his height-weight combo. Seems like a potential... Uh, a potential developmental running back prospect you stick him on the practice squad somebody gets hurt midway through the season you give him uh, bring him up to the the active roster give him a little bit of burn there and see what happens he reminds me of like a budget james starks kind of tallish a little bit stiff mostly straight line speed you don't expect him to do a lot of dancing around but you know you can you can win with a guy like that in in the sort of blocking scheme the packers use so I'm fairly optimistic about his chances here. At any rate, he is another running back in that room. And speaking of, this is a good opportunity to address one of the questions that we we did get for the podcast. Um, One comment on on one of the YouTube videos that we did or or, or videos, the podcast videos that we did over the weekend um, was just the two words and a question mark, Dexter Williams. Yes, remember Dexter Williams, the the running back the Packers drafted a couple years back, um, who has 
all but become a non-person in Green Bay. Uh, yeah, Dexter Williams. I think of the let's see, uh, Josh or Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, Jamal Williams, Tyler Irvin, uh, Patrick Taylor. Dexter Williams might be tied with Taylor for fifth on the depth chart right now. I would not expect him to really make a serious run at the 53-man roster this year. It's it's an uphill battle for him, especially if they're looking at keeping a guy like Deguara uh, as a fullback type in there. It gets to be pretty pretty crowded there in the backfield. Moving right along, Chris Barnes out of UCLA, one of the first guys who was not a combine invite, and therefore we don't have any testing numbers at all because the pro days all went uh, when the coronavirus stuff started happening. So all we really know about him in terms of measurables is that he's six foot one and two hundred thirty-five pounds, smallish, undrafted linebacker, probably not that great. If you if you're asking, is he good or not? But then again, the Packers have had good luck in the last couple of years with smallish, undrafted or late drafted linebackers. Just look at Curtis Bolton last year, six feet tall, 228 pounds. Uh, he was ready to make the 53-man roster until an injury late in training camp all but ended um, his shot at the 53 and, and potentially um, his NFL career. I, I need to make a correction from an um, episode months and months ago now. He is technically still with the Packers. Uh, he, he stuck around with the team all of last year, though they did release him. He, he reverted back to the roster because they put him on IR before the end of, of training camp. Um, so he spent the entire season on, on IR, and he is on their roster right now. So maybe a Curtis Bolton redemption tour this summer. Um, maybe Chris Barnes is the new Curtis Bolton. At any rate, what he reminds me of is an auto-generated name on NCAA football. Chris Barnes just sounds like some guy who's going to be a three-star recruit from some state in the middle of the country that you add to your board because he ran a good 40 time. And you just think, ah, we'll see what what this guy can do. Um, But a a name like Chris Barnes just sounds sounds very generic. Um, But we can't all have uh, ethnic names like Dutch names. Um, so I guess I'm I'm stuck with that one. Maybe he is he has the more normal name, and I sound like the one who is made up. Think about that. Uh, Henry Black, a safety out of Baylor, six feet tall, two hundred six pounds. Is he good? Maybe. I think there is a prototype on the Packers roster, or at least someone who was on the Packers roster recently, uh, that could give us a path forward here for Henry Black. It's that it's interesting enough looking at his bio. Um, that you can you can kind of see what the Packers are thinking about here. Let's let's talk about that in terms of what he reminds me of because he reminds me of a guy like Ibrahim Campbell, not Campbell specifically, but a guy who has the same sort of kill skills. So Mike Patton, you want your safeties to play linebacker? How about a safety who used to be a linebacker? Here's from my friend Tex Western quote: Black gradually developed into a starting safety for Baylor after being recruited as an outside linebacker and spending time there through his first three seasons. However, he moved to safety full-time in 2019 with Baylor's shift from a 4-3 to a 3-3-5 scheme, bringing a linebacker's mentality to the secondary, end quote. So he is not a safety that became a linebacker. He is a linebacker who became a safety and now will have the opportunity to play safety and perhaps linebacker again in the NFL. That is an intriguing enough bio that I think we should keep him at least on our radar in the short term. Up front, Travis Buffy, an offensive lineman, joins the Packers out of Texas Tech. This is a large individual, six foot six, three 305 pounds. 
Is he good? Who cares? He's real big. Alex Light was okay and very big, and he got onto the 53-man roster. Maybe this guy can do it too. What's he remind me of? Bruffy the Vampire Slayer. That's all I have to say. Let's move on. Frankie Griffin is our next prospect. He too is a hybrid safety inside linebacker type out of the totally real school of Texas State. Six feet tall, 205 pounds. Is he good? Maybe, but he was injured a bunch. He spent six years at Texas State, had to get two medical hardship waivers, and Texas State is definitely a real school. I looked it up and everything. There are 38,000 students that go to Texas State. I have never heard of it before this weekend. What's he remind me of? Well, Frankie Griffin reminds me of that friend we all had from high school who went to community college for like six years to get a degree in like general studies or something. When you're at a place called Texas State for six years, that's just the sort of comparison that you get. Moving along, sticking on the defensive side of the ball, we talk about Willington Prevalent, a defensive tackle out of Rutgers. Six foot five, 295 pounds. Defensive tackle, yes, but probably, judging by that height and weight combo, probably projects as a defensive end for the Packers. Is he good? Well, he's a three-time honorable mention Big Ten performer. Uh, all Big Ten performer, excuse me. Seems like a pretty good value if you can get a guy like that as an undrafted free agent. Maybe a new Tyler Lancaster type? Who knows? Um, what he reminds me of? Well, with a name like Willington Prevalon, he sounds like the obscenely rich antagonist in a Disney movie with an animal protagonist, think like Air Bud or something like that, where they're trying to save the local rec center or something. You just know this guy's going to like fall face first into a puddle or a pile of mud or something at the end. And boy, he is going to look silly. He's still going to be crazy rich, though. And he probably can make, uh, make life miserable for the protagonist once the film ends. But hey, don't think about that. It's on the Disney Channel couple more here and then we'll move on to your questions. Delonte Scott, an edge, joins the Packers from Southern Methodist University. Six foot five, 250 pounds. Is he good? It seems like it. Even if SMU isn't necessarily that much of a power in terms of, of really prospects of any type at this point, his production ratio his last two seasons at SMU is 1.7. Getting into opposing backfields a lot. And this, I think, between him and Galliai, we need to take a second and pause here because the Packers are kind of in an interesting, unusual situation of having Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, and nobody else on the edge. Not even a Kyler Fackrell anymore. Not even a Reggie Gilbert. There is nobody else on the roster with noteworthy pass rushing experience from that position in Green Bay right now. Which is why I think a couple undrafted free agents from last year are worth taking a second to remember here for a second. Cast your mind back to last spring when we talked about Greg Roberts, also out of Baylor, as a couple of these guys have been, and Randy Ramsey. Ramsey goes six foot three, two hundred and thirty-eight pounds, a little bit more of an undersized edge type, maybe a tweener off the ball linebacker type too. Uh, Greg Roberts, the exact opposite. Real big guy, 6'5", 258 pounds, wingspan for days. I think there's a real chance that either the two undrafted free agents they picked this year or Roberts or Ramsey is going to make a real run at the roster just because of where the bodies are falling for the Packers this year. There is not a lot of edge depth on this team right now. Continuing on, Will Sunderland, a Will Sunderland Jr., excuse me, I should point out, a defensive back at a Troy, has an interesting interesting backstory. Is he any good? Who cares? Check out his story. 
and his journey in college. Quoting again from our good friend Tex Western, quote, once a four-star safety recruit who was expected to compete for a starting job in Norman Sunderland was suspended during the summer of 2017 for an alleged burglary in the OU dorms involving video game systems. He eventually reached a plea bargain to felony charges after sitting out that season and transferring to Troy, where he played both safety and cornerback over the last two years. End quote. This guy has had some interesting life experiences. What does he remind me of? He reminds me of the mysterious transfer student the team rallies around in a sports movie after finding out his troubled backstory. You know the one, the guy who's kind of quiet. Everybody's wondering what his deal is. Well, it turns out he's got a past. But everybody puts that aside and and just finds out that he's actually just really good at the sport and question the sport. So it turns out it doesn't really matter. Anyway, moving along. Marc-Antoine Decoy, a safety out of the University of Montreal. The Packers going north of the border. Got some measurables on a pro day from him via Gil Brandt. So... Uh, Decoy is six foot two and three quarters, 198 pounds, ran a four three six in the 40, a bunch of great explosion and agility numbers. And he did all of this, according to Brandt, with a bad cold and a fractured arm. Is he good? Honestly, and not being flippant about this, who knows and who cares? Because with that athletic profile, You keep him around just on the outside chance that he knows that you throw the pointy end of the football downfield. A guy who's almost six foot three can run a four three six forty. Switch him to wide receiver, for all I care. If he can do those things just running around, help him figure out how to play football and just let the chips fall where they may. Also, he was a video game studies major in 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 college. If that's not cool, I don't know what is. Zach Johnson is an offensive line prospect out of North Dakota State. He is six foot six, three hundred and fifteen pounds, and like his offensive line counterpart earlier on this list, who cares if he's good or not? He's real big. Alex Light was okay and real big, and he got onto the fifty-three man roster. You know the rest of the story from there. What he reminds me of is musician Jack Johnson, but very different. Um, just for the rhyme alone, his nickname going forward is going to be Banana Pancakes which works for an offensive lineman, I think, in the big, in a big way. Jalen Morton is a quarterback at a Prairie View A&M, 6'4", 226 pounds. Is he good? Doesn't really matter. He's probably just a camp arm flyer. He reminds me a little bit of Tim Boyle. And rounding out our list is tight end slash fullback Jordan Jones, also out of Prairie View A&M, 6'1", 250 pounds. Is, it a, is he any good? Well, it's going to depend on what position he plays. Here is his backstory, again, quoting for the last time from Tex Western. Jones took an odd route to Prairie View, starting his career at another FCS school, Grambling State, as a tight end. After moving to fullback for his redshirt junior year, injuries cut that campaign short, and he transferred to Prairie View, where he shifted back to tight end and H-back his likely role in camp with the Packers. There, he set career highs in receptions and yards, as a senior, end quote. So what does he remind me of? Well, he's either the poor man's Josiah DeGuara, who is either the rich man's Danny Vitale, or the poor man's Kyle Juszczyk, or he's, I don't know, just a camp body that doesn't really have a position. And it seems like the Packers could have a few of those this year, and they have guys like that each and every year. Those are the Packers' undrafted free agents. Who do you like? Who do you not like? Let me know. I will be interested to take your questions on undrafted free agents. In the meantime, I'll take a few of your questions 
here. We've got a few to get through. This is going to be a little bit of a longer episode, and that's okay. So diving right in, Mikkel has five questions about Jordan Love. Uh, sent all of these in an email. Uh, I will breeze through my responses to them here. Not breeze through. I will give you the actual uh, thoughtful responses these questions deserve. Mikkel, again, five questions. First, this sort of situation worked out with Aaron Rodgers some 10 years ago, right? Um, yeah, it did. It worked out really well when the Packers drafted a quarterback at the end of the first round that they didn't need 15 years ago. But I think there are some significant differences between Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. For starters, Rodgers was no worse, at, le- at least among the scouting opinions, considered no worse than the second quarterback in the draft. Probably, and it, it will vary by scout by day, but he and Alex Smith were 1 and 1A. It was They were right there with each other. Jordan Love was not up there at the top of the class. Many people thought that Aaron Rodgers might be the best player in the whole draft. A lot of people just talked themselves out of him, and he fell to the Packers. But Love was, again, optimistically kind of projected as the fourth best quarterback or so, and maybe a teens, early 20s pick on the high end. There are some significant differences there. So yes, there are some similarities, but we need to point out the differences too. Second question from Mickle: If Jordan Love becomes a starter in his fourth year, then what is the reduced chance of a developmental but talented quarterback becoming a bust by sitting behind a good franchise quarterback for the first couple of years? In your view, how many talented quarterbacks are lost because they started too early? So a few years ago, I would have said that a lot more quarterbacks are lost because they, they start too early, but I'm not sure that's the case anymore. And I think that's because guys are coming into the league more ready to play than ever and having fewer opportunities to really develop. I think there is some benefit in Love's particular case to sitting, but I think that benefit diminishes pretty quickly. Sitting him for one year might be good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that sitting him for three years is going to be great. Does that make sense? Uh, I think that's that's kind of how that works. Third question, if Love had been a starter for only the last one to two years of his rookie contract, how team-friendly might his contract look for years five to nine? What does a similar contract extension for the couple year, or last couple of years look like? So I think there's actually a really good example here of a, of a guy who, who did not perform super well early on or maybe to make it apples to apples to love, didn't just get that many opportunities. Uh, for starters, we should point out that since love is a first-round pick, he is going to get a fifth-year option. And if he's any good, the Packers will pick that up. For love it looks like the first or the fifth year option right now projects to about 22 million dollars that could move around a little bit but it looks like that's about what it's going to be that's not a super team friendly figure it's more friendly than an extension would probably be no matter how good he turns out to be the problem is if he looks like he's going to be any good at all it really isn't going to matter how long he sits because quarterbacks are just expensive and ryan Tannehill is a perfect archetype for how that can work out he was pretty bad let's even say average to slightly above average at times in Miami. Did not get an extension there. Came to Tennessee on a discount. But then, after being competent for like half a season, gets an extension for four years averaging $29.5 million per year. That is pretty expensive. And I think that's what you're looking like on the low end if Jordan Love gets a chance to start in year four or whatever and turns out to be pretty good. Packers will then either have to do that extension 
or do the franchise tag dance for a couple years. Neither one is going to be super affordable. Fourth, how hard is it to get a franchise quarterback with late first-round picks we would expect the Packers to have in the coming three years? How many franchise quarterbacks have been selected in the last 10 to 20 years after the mid-first round? Well, Aaron Rodgers is, is the... Is the perfect example there. Patrick Mahomes kind of falls into that mid-first round sort of range. In the 20s to 30s, Lamar Jackson is a good example. So just a a few in the last few years, a couple in the last few years. Um, But generally speaking, and I've spoken to this before, I think it is easier than people are painting it to get a guy who projects as a franchise quarterback late in the first round or early in the second round. Um, the names we've talked about recently, Paxton Lynch, Deshaun Kaiser, Lamar Jackson, Drew Locke, obviously not all of those guys have worked out. In fact, fewer than half of them have worked out. Uh, but the, there are the guys with that sort of skill set. I think it's important to remember overall that if you're looking at that quarterbacks taken in the first round, and we'll round down to the, the early second there too, I think it's about a 50% bust rate. Half these guys or so turn out to just be unable to play at an NFL level, like right out of the gate. The rest of them may be somewhere between competent NFL player and superstar. 50-50 falls into either can't play at all or somewhere between just okay to superstar. Your mileage may vary. The point is, it's not as rare as people have led us to believe to get a guy with significant talent at the end of the first round. And, And your opinion on love may vary, My point in this is that it's just not super rare to have an opportunity to take a guy with the upside of a Jordan Love, unless you think Love's upside is just incredible, and some people do. The Packers obviously do, um, and that that is their right. Fifth question, better insurance against Aaron Rodgers' injury, of course, but how might Aaron Rodgers' contract extension negotiations look like next time should the Packers not have a credible heir? Will Aaron Rodgers play any different now that he knows he will have competition should he want to go after a next contract extension? So in the short term, I don't think Rodgers plays any differently. Long term in Green Bay, I'm not convinced that there is going to be contract negotiations between the Packers and Rodgers next time. Um, Brian Gutekunst has said that he doesn't want to put on Jordan Love that he is expected to be the heir apparent. Uh, that is a nice thing to say. Um I think it is 0% true. By making him the 26th pick in the first round, by trading up to get that 26th pick, that's where you set the expectations. Sorry, Brian, that's how it works. Um, You can say you're not thinking of him as the quarterback of the future, but you already spent two draft picks to get him. You picked him when you didn't have to. What else are we supposed to think? So um, I think that makes him the, the Packers quarterback of the future. Um, and obviously there's a lot of things that, that could change. He could just not be very good, and, and they want to find a different quarterback of the future. That could happen. I don't think the Packers are really interested in in exploring what it could cost to keep Aaron Rodgers at this point beyond his current contract. That is a long way down the road. Um, so I don't think they're even thinking about that right now. And when he does come up for a contract again, I think he'll be entering his age 41 season, and you're probably at year-to-year territory at that point or uh, two-year deals that are functionally one-year deals where you have a a convenient out for the team after the first round. Hopefully that answers your questions, Mikkel. If I did not get to them, 
um, or, or answer them su- sufficiently, please let me know. David asks, what bad habits does love have? You mentioned them as a negative, but I was curious about specific. Also, I don't know how much of a drawback that is considering the time frame. Neuroplasticity for the win. Well, in short, I think there, there are two significant um, bad habits that love has. I worry about his feet and his consistency in decision-making. Uh, for His feet can go a number of, of different ways. His, his throwing platform, uh, the way he tends to overstride into throws a little bit, all of those things can throw off accuracy. He also has the Aaron Rodgers tendency to, to seem to want to break the pocket a little bit earlier than he should, using his feet and the athleticism that he has to try to extend plays when maybe he shouldn't necessarily do so. Second thing, just decision-making. Uh, it seems like he has never encountered a cornerback he wouldn't be happy to throw the ball to. Um, and some of that is is forcing things in certain situations, but other times he is you you throw the film on and he just stares down defensive backs when he doesn't have to. I've tried to qualify this in the past by saying that this isn't anything that's unfixable. These are are, are very correctable problems. My deal is that it's not a great starting point. You'd rather not to have to correct things like throwing mechanics. Uh, the lower body throwing mechanics right off the bat. But Aaron Rodgers came in with work to do, and that seems to have worked out. So there is a path forward there. Um, the 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 problems or bad habits that he has are not the, the big objection for me with that pick. I, I, I'd be more worried about the productivity and not, not dominating the competition. But again, I've said all that before. Not going to harp on that part of the pick anymore. It's not about Jordan Love. If there are objections, it's about the front office. Luke asks, what's your take on Gutekunst not making any trades after day one? Seems a lot more passive than expected. I was quite surprised. I thought and even predicted that he would try to move, especially with uh, picks 208 and 209 coming back to back. It sounds like he made an attempt to get up in the second round uh, with the run on receivers working out, uh, but couldn't get it done. I was very surprised overall that he stuck with what they had, but I, uh, he probably just didn't have the capital to get it done. Um, after giving up that fourth round in the love pick. You can envision a situation where he would trade pick, what was it, 62 that they had, 64, plus that fourth rounder to move up into the middle of the second round and grab, I don't know, maybe a Chase Claypool or somebody like that. Um, But without that fourth round pick, you look at having to give away the entire back half of your draft to move up, and that is not a super great value, or dip into next year's picks, and that's not necessarily a great decision either. Um, so if you did told me at the start of the draft before anything happened with Jordan Love that, that Gutekunst wasn't going to trade at all outside the first round, I would have been very surprised. But after seeing what they did with, with Love, you can see why, why it kind of makes sense. Alex from New Mexico asks via YouTube, maybe I'm a little late to this conversation, but I still have a couple points I'd like to make. Maybe you'll agree or you won't, but hopefully I'll give you food for your thoughts. So the Packers picked a new quarterback. Is it really that bad? How many times have we sat down as the season dwindled down to uh, to the big emptiness of another offseason as Aaron Rodgers got hurt and we screamed to the TV, get another quarterback? Now that it happened, it seems people are all up in arms. Really? And he goes on to to ask further questions about... um, love as as sort of a, a fill-in for, for Rodgers um, should he become injured. And that is a fair point. Um, the Packers have been without a good backup quarterback for essentially the entire Aaron Rodgers era. 
The last good backup quarterback they had was Matt Flynn, and the functional Matt Flynn years are almost an entire decade away at this point. Just look at it. Look at the calendar. 2013, Aaron Rodgers' first collarbone injury seven years ago already. And his 2011 great year at the end, or game at the end there is nine years ago. He was drafted a dozen years ago. It starts getting depressing. The point is, it's been a while since the Packers have had a decent backup quarterback. And it's come back to bite them. However, and I am willing to be wrong about this, but kind of my take on backup quarterbacks is if if you're in a situation where your backup quarterback has to come in and win more than a couple games for you, I'm okay with, I don't know, I don't want to say punting on the season, but what what are your real long-term chances anyway? Say Aaron Rodgers goes down for eight games, as has happened a couple times, what are the Packers' real chances when he comes back? I mean, just look at 2017. He breaks his collarbone, and he comes back, and he was not ready to come back. If the Packers had managed to win a couple games while he was gone and they'd been in better position when he did come back, what is the real long-term prognosis there? What what can the Packers really do with Aaron Rodgers playing at 70% of himself, 65% of himself? That Carolina game in 2017 was not good. So from that perspective, I'm not super high on on the idea of just getting a good backup quarterback because he'll save your season if you have to. I'm more inclined to to take the Tom Moore approach, which I have um, cited several times on this podcast. John Gruden, um, visiting for Monday Night Football, asked Tom Moore, then the offensive coordinator uh, of the Indianapolis Colts, why they're not giving any reps to to Peyton Manning's backup quarterbacks. And Moore says, because if... 18 goes down, we're screwed, and we don't practice screwed. He did not use the word screwed there. Figure it out yourself. That's kind of where I've been with, with the Aaron Rodgers backup situation. So if, if, you're, if your sales job for the Jordan Love pick is that you can avoid being screwed, if, if Aaron Rodgers goes down, okay, I, I guess, but that's not a great reason, I think, to, to draft a quarterback in the first round. I think there would have been guys later on in the draft. Tyler Huntley is somebody we've mentioned that could have filled that role. Would have been competent enough to keep the backers in a couple games, but if you're having to save your season, it, it's not really going to matter anyway. That's just my philosophy on backup quarterbacks in general. But um, on the other hand, having Jordan Love does answer that question for you for a few years now. So at least you won't have to worry about it for a while if he actually turns out to be good. But that, again, is the question for every potential NFL player. Finally, to cap off this overly long podcast, or perhaps bonus content, if uh, if you've been used to, to shorter episodes here, a couple of different people have asked about my assessment for Brian Gutekunst so far in his tenure. So he is in year three now. He's handled three drafts. What do we think of Brian Gutekunst? After thinking about his free agency, uh, activities, what he's done in the draft, how the Packers look now versus where they were when he took over. I give him about a B minus, I think. And sometimes I feel like that's a little bit generous. Given where the Packers were when he took over, I think they are better in some areas, but worse in others. Uh, they're better on defense, I think top to bottom than they were when he took over. They've got a more well-rounded secondary. They've got better edge rushers. The defensive line has not really improved all that much. 
but it hasn't gotten worse. And just some of the personnel that he's, decisions he's made at edge rusher have helped the Packers offset the lack of talent injections on the defensive line. Inside linebacker is about where it was. Uh, but he has taken aggressive steps to try to fix the defense as a whole. couple first-round picks, three first-round picks on defense, I guess. Um, aggressive free agent signings. Um, and all that sort of stuff. So from that perspective, I think there, there's a lot to like about Gutekunst. But I think there are some some fair questions about what he's done too. What's the deal with his valuation on some of these guys? The the two picks that we've talked about consistently, consistently in this draft class as being questionable valuations are A.J. Dillon and Josiah DeGara. Um, not saying they're bad players, but those were unusual times to pick them. Uh, Jimmy Graham getting a top-of-market free agent deal. Muhammad Wilkerson um, looked fair to middling on the deal he was on at best. Dean Lowry's extension, not looking great. The overall handling of the wide receiver position. It's one thing to be set on your guys. It's it's another to only add three day three picks and Devin Funches and a Canadian Football League player to your receiver room over three years. Overall, I think it comes out to a B minus. Pretty solid grade among the NFL as a whole, I think. Um, but I think there is significant room for improvement. And I'm not sure how much improvement we are going to see from Gutekunst over the, the remainder of, of 2020. Um, but he's got a legacy pick now, and that could largely define his tenure in Green Bay. So I've got for you in this episode. Hope you appreciated the the longer one. Um, got to throw these out there every now and then, um, because sometimes we, we run a bit short and, uh, want to make sure you're getting value for the time you're investing in the show. If you like this show and want to help us continue to produce more, one of the best things you can do is just tell other people about it. Share it with somebody you think would get something out of it. That helps us grow the tent and and keep this conversation around the Green Bay Packers going because that, for my money, is the best way to help everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.